We have less than two weeks to decide where the state of Israel is headed, whether it's going backwards to a politics that's corrupt, violent and without responsibility, or if we're making a choice for our children's future. At a post-holiday event Monday night, opposition leader Benjamin Netanyahu staying off stage to avoid having his picture taken alongside far-right politician Itamar Ben-Gvir and thus alienating centrist voters. With Netanyahu Tuesday... That's some coverage on Israeli news lately as we're coming down to the last week of campaigning ahead of Israel's next elections, which are set for Tuesday, November the 1st. Former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is hoping to make a comeback to power with his Likud party at the helm of a right-wing coalition that includes the Haredis and the religious Zionists, including Itamar Ben-Gvir and Betzalel Smotrich, that extreme duo who are making headlines for their anti-Arab stance and their provocative support for extreme right-wing settler violence. The last coalition in government, led by Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid, formally dissolved four months ago, and campaigning really only started this past week after all the Jewish holidays have ended. Among the people likely to sit in the next Knesset is Danny Danon. He's a longtime Likud party veteran. He served in the Knesset for years under Netanyahu in cabinet, but he clashed with him once too often. He even ran to replace Bibi as leader twice and was unsuccessful. Netanyahu sent Danon off to New York to be Israel's ambassador at the UN for the last five years. Danon is back now. He says he worries that many Israelis are so fed up with having five elections in four years and not seeing a government that can last that they just won't bother to show up to vote this time. No, I think I'm not worried about uh, that we will lose, you know, the law and order or the, or the character of Israel as a strong democracy. But I'm worried that more and more people will, will not be involved in the, in the process. I'm Ellen Besner, and this is what Jewish Canada sounds like for Monday, October the 24th, 2022. Welcome to the CJN Daily, a podcast of the Canadian Jewish News, sponsored by Metropia. Ambassador Danny Danon has deep ties to Canada. His wife, Tali Elbaz Danon, was raised in Montreal. After she made Aliyah to Israel, the couple met at Hebrew University. He went into public life after some stints as a shaliach in Miami for the Jewish agency, and then he served in the Knesset for Likud from 2008 to 2015. Danon has been described as a hawk. He's for law and order. He's for clamping down on Arab terrorism. He's for giving more weapons and support to Israel's police and military. He's against a two-state solution. And in the past, he's advocated cutting off water and power to Gaza, leveling Gazan towns, even supporting annexing all of the West Bank, which he prefers to call by the name Judea and Samaria. Danon's also got a new book out called In the Lion's Den, his memoirs of his time at the UN. Danon has said he wants to lead his party if Netanyahu loses or steps down, but right now he was in Toronto on Sunday to speak at a fundraising event and then headed right back to Israel for the election campaign's finale. He sat down with the CJN Daily for his only Canadian interview, to talk about what's at stake for Israel in the next election. So welcome back to Canada. When was the last time you were physically in Canada? Well, I, I was here before COVID. You know, when I served at the UN for five years, we, we visited a lot. Uh, my wife, Tali, she's Canadian. She grew up in Montreal. So whenever we had a chance to come and visit her family or to travel. So we are familiar with the Canadian Jewish community and uh, with the beauty of Canada. And it's always good to be back. But we're turning to Israel now, of course. Uh, first of all, I want to speak to you about the name of your book, the title of your book. 
because it's in the news now for another reason, which I'm sure you were aware of, the, the, the name of the new Palestinian group that's been responsible for a lot of the violence uh, in, in Israel that the government is dealing with at the moment. Is there a connection? Why did they call it the same as your book? Well, I, I think, you know, the, the name of my book, it comes from the Bible. You know, it speaks about uh, Daniel in the lion's den. You know, he spent one night in the lion's den, but I spent five long years in the lion's den uh, at, at the UN. Uh, and I think, you know, it, for me, it meant that, you know, I was there most of the time uh, by myself, even though we, we are friends and I, I'm very optimistic. And in the book, I, I tell uh, that we can actually be optimistic about the future of Israel, even at a hostile place like the UN. Uh, but many times, you know, you have no friend and you have to stand by yourself there. Right. So speaking about this terror group that they uh, that's been in the news in Israel for being headlined, they call themselves in the lion's den, right? The West Bank group. What what can you say about the threat to or the the, the importance that this new res, sort of resurrected violence from this group poses to the Israeli election and the electorate going forward at the moment? No, so, so I, I think, you know, I, I don't think that the, the place for any equation I think this is a small group of few dozens uh, radical terrorists, and I, I'm sure that our forces will be able to uh, to deal with them uh, and to erase them from the map. Uh, because what we have seen in the last few weeks is the, the wave of terror attacks, uh, vicious ones, uh, and like we did in the past, we were able to to fight back and to protect our citizens. I think that will be the same with the, this small group. And by the way, in the last few hours or days. I think we we, are, we have seen some uh, examples of the capabilities of our security forces regarding that notorious group. On that point, I'd like to dig a little deeper. The wave of terror is coming as we're you know head, as Israel's heading to the polls. How much do you think that plays into the growing support that we see for the right wing parties that are with uh, Itamar Ben Gvir and Smotrich and, and that kind of move of, of Israel's politics to the, to the extreme right? Well, I'm sure that it affects the elections. You know, I hope that the next 10 days will be quiet and peaceful. But if, uh, God forbid, we will see more terror attacks, uh, I'm sure that you will see more people shifting more to the right. Uh, and, it, and it goes both ways. It means that people from the center will shift to the, to the Likud, and, and people who support the Likud will shift to the religious Zionist party. You're number 15 on the list. So what position are you hoping to get? Are you hoping for foreign minister because of all your vast experience now? Well, first, I hope that we will win the elections. One of the reasons I, I jumped back to, to politics is to support the party and to win. You know, the last thing we want to see that we're going to have to go to another elections. So I, I'm not concerned about my personal uh, ambitions, you know, and which position I will have in the future government. But, but I care a lot about the fact that we will have a majority and that will not be a place that we're going to have to go for uh, endless cycles of, of elections. I'm worried about the future of the democracy in Israel. Uh, and I think we are now in a, in a chaotic situation. Uh, and I hope that we'll be able to solve it uh, after the upcoming election. You mentioned that you're worried about democracy. What does that feel like to you? What does that look like to you? Uh, you know, the voting uh, patterns in Israel, when you look at the numbers, are very impressive. Uh, it's not mandatory to vote in Israel. 
and still it's one of the highest uh, percentage of uh, participation in the world. So I'm worried that people will, will lose uh, their confidence in the system. It's called, you know, election fatigue, right? Or they get disillusioned because nothing's going to change. It's going to be the same and same. Yeah, if we talk about the campaign, which I'm very involved in, one of the things that we analyzed that the last time we had a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of voters who supported the Likud party, but they didn't go to vote. And one of the things we are doing now, we are actually approaching them and encouraging them to participate in the process in this election on November 1st. And what are you hearing from the electorate when you're there on the ground about their biggest concerns? Is it Iran? Is it the local, as you just mentioned, the, the outbreak of violence with the, in the lion's den uh, people? Is it Ukraine, Russia? What are they, what are they telling you? Or, or something else? So uh, I would point out three issues. Uh, one is domestic security. You know, you, you, you spoke about it. Uh, is, is the feeling of, of uh, confidence in the security forces. And, and today the case is that people don't feel safe in Israel, not only in the Negev or Galilee, but also uh, in the center. And I think we, we have to deal with that. We have to empower the police. Uh, in t- we have to give them more uh, uh, budgets. We have to give them uh, uh, support and, and actually allow them to do their, their important job. Uh, that's the first thing. The second issue is the cost of living, which is, you know, it's a problem worldwide, but in Israel it's, it's more than anywhere else. When you look at the, at the, the cost of the apartments and rental uh, in Israel, it's, it's outrageous. So people ask for answers uh, on this uh, housing issue. And the third is more vague, but it, it's, con- it's connected to national pride. People want to feel uh, strong and safe uh, in Israel. Uh, basically, I'll give you the example. They want to be proud about raising the, the blue and white flag because the feeling they got in the last year that some of the radical Arab parties uh, became stronger uh, and, and they felt that it's on their expense. You mentioned in another article that I read that right now people are more interested in making peace in the neighborhood than worrying about the Palestinians. And that's a ta- it's been a strategy that the Israeli governments have pursued over the last few years, including under your mandate in the UN. I wonder if you can uh, just go and explain that a little bit more and if it's still true today. Yes, yes I, I want to clarify. I, what I write in the book about is a new paradigm that in the past, the paradigm was that first we have to solve the problem between uh, us Israelis and the Palestinians. And only after we can achieve peace with, uh, with our moderate Arab countries. You know, I remember, you know, discussing with Secretary, Secretary Kerry, and he was very clear when he said, you will never, never, never achieve peace if you won't solve the conflict with the Palestinians before. And, and he meant with the Gulf countries. And we proved him wrong. We proved the, the paradigm that it was, it was not correct. And we, we actually have a new paradigm now that we build bridges with the many Muslim countries. And hopefully they will be the one who will actually uh, help us to achieve peace with the Palestinians. In the book, you actually mentioned, but didn't mention the country that you, you took a bit of credit, a lot of credit for some meetings at a Jewish as a donor's house or some Jewish guy in New York, where this sort of spark started with one of the Muslim countries that Israel now has 
relationships with. So do you want to tell us more about that? Are you allowed to reveal more about how that happened and ended up being the Abraham Accords? So I would say that, you know, I, I, I met many uh, Muslim ambassadors and, and leaders. Uh, I'm still in touch with many of them. Uh, and my, I always push them. I don't listen, let's do it public. You know, nothing will happen to you uh, or to your country. On the, on the contrary, uh, and it was a real, uh, you know, interesting debate. Uh, with few of those countries, we can mention the names because we signed agreements already. Uh, the UAE, Bahrain, uh, Morocco. But with the rest, it's still uh, behind the closed doors. Uh, and I'm optimistic. Uh, I think that uh, one of the things that I will promote if we will, will get to form the next government is to renew the momentum of the Abraham Accords. Uh, basically, we will approach uh, Biden's administration and our friends in the region, and we will try to continue with, with, more, with more countries in the region. Uh, I think it's feasible. Right now, Biden is um, walking a tightrope with Saudi Arabia. How would Israel be able to push Biden to navigate that? That's a little bit more complicated, right? Uh, it is, but I think it will serve the interests of the U.S. also uh, to have more stability in the region. Uh, I agree with you, it's not as simple, but I, I think it, it will support the Saudis, the Israelis, the moderate Arab countries, and, and I think it will be the interest of the US and the Western superpowers that you will see an, another strong country joining the Abraham Accords. Speaking of not walking a tightrope, Israel, of course, under um, Lapid, has walked a tightrope with what to do about Ukraine, Russia. If your party gets in, how will that uh, approach change or will it stay the same? So my recommend, I don't know which position I will have. You, you suggested Minister of Foreign Affairs, which is very flattering, but uh, I will definitely will be involved with foreign policy regarding which position I will have because of my vast experience and knowledge in this field. And one of the recommendations I will give to the Prime Minister is to speak less and to do more regarding Ukraine and Russia. What we saw in the last year was, uh, uh, I would say, uh, irresponsible government that made too many headlines uh, and didn't do much to support the Ukrainian people. You know, I'll give you an example. The visit of Prime Minister Bennett to try to mediate between Russia and Ukraine was a mistake. Uh, declarations of Prime Minister Lapid were not helpful. So I think we should speak less, but do more in terms of, of supporting the Ukrainian people. During the beginning of the war, of course, that was what the Jewish agency was doing, Israel aid, all the sort of NGO type countries, they were on the ground before everybody was, and we covered it as well. Are you speaking about that kind of soft, or are you speaking about behind the scenes military aid? No, so I wouldn't go into like making declarations, but I, I, I don't think we will get involved militarily in Europe. You know, I think Israel is a small country, and 9 million people, we have a lot of... Uh, uh, complex issues in our region, but definitely I think we should and we can uh, do more in terms of supporting uh, the Ukrainian people. Let's talk about the Lebanese agreement with Israel about maritime boundaries. Um, Netanyahu has said that it's a, a win for Hezbollah. Do you agree? Do you have different thoughts on that? Well, first I, I, I have to ask why now? What is the rush? Why we cannot wait until after the elections? Uh, I think it's uh, inappropriate. Uh, I don't think if we were in, in power, uh, the court and the attorney general uh, would have allowed that to happen. Uh, and I think once you negotiate 
under pressure and you're in a rush to sign something, you make mistakes. And that's exactly what happened. I think Lapid made uh, too many mistakes and, and we gave away too much to Hezbollah and to Lebanon. And it's, it's a bad precedent, not only in terms of uh, the value of the assets and, 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 the, and the money we lose in the future, but also in terms of the, the way Israel is being perceived by other forces in the Middle East. We have a, dis, a similar dispute with Cyprus, with Egypt, and with the Gaza uh, about, uh, about uh, gas uh, offshore. And, and once they saw what happened with Lebanon, it's going to be bad for us in the future. What about Iran? Uh, Iran is advising Moscow now on how to shoot drones into Ukraine. Tell me what your, your fears are uh, in terms of Iran at the moment. So two, two, two days ago, I, I briefed uh, the EU ambassadors in Israel. And I told them, when you see what's happening today in Ukraine with the uh, Iranian drones, you know, it's about time you, you stop the negotiation with Iran. Uh, and I think now it's time to think about uh, other options of isolating Iran, uh, applying sanctions against them, uh, and finding another way to, to control uh, the race for nuclear capability. Uh, but the agreement is a bad agreement. So uh, I, I don't know, from what I hear now, you know, the agreement is still there, but it's not going to be signed in the near future. But from my experience, it can happen very fast that you will find this, the parties, you know, going back to negotiations. And I'm worried about it. Under uh, Netanyahu, they had a, uh, a compromise over the Western Wall, and I need to ask about it, which was about more egalitarian prayer for different flavors of Judaism at the Western Wall. Then under Bennett, it was frozen. What is the status of that? What do you know? And what will Likud do if they get in? Well, I don't think it, it moved forward during uh, Lapid's and Bennett government, uh, from what I know. Uh, and I think, you know, we, we will have to find a, a way uh, to have a discussion between the parties because, you know, after serving so many years at, at the UN, I realized that our um, enemies do not make the distinction between us, whether you are left-wing or right-wing, whether you are orthodox or conservative. You know, they look at us as Jews, uh, as Israelis, and they come against us. So I think we should uh, understand that and we should... Uh, I be more uh, uh, open for discussions between ourselves. I did want to ask one thing. In your book, you love this quote that Elie Wiesel said to you the last time you saw him. And then tell well, me what that means to you as we watch what's happening next week in Israel. No, you know, when, when I met Elie Wiesel and uh, we had that discussion in his uh, small office in Manhattan, you know, um, I, it sounds very smart to me. But it, it didn't get to me until I, I actually was there at, at the UN. Uh, and, and he told me that to always we have to uh, pay attention, to, more attention to the threats of our enemies than to the promises of our allies. Uh, and when I spoke with other ambassadors, they, all, they told me, Danny, why are you are so pessimistic uh, and skeptical about everything? And, and it happened, you know, to me it happened when Obama put the resolution condemning Israel. I was by myself. You know, the U.S. was against us, Canada, you, you name it. All of our friends were not there at that moment. So uh, I think it's for us when we look at Iran today and what's happening with Ukraine, I think we have to understand that we should count only on ourselves. 
And, you know, I brought to Israel more than 120 ambassadors over the years. It's a project that I initiated. It continues until today. And every time I took them to an Air Force base and, and, and they saw the, the Air Force in action, I told them that that's our guarantee for our security and safety. Not the Security Council, not the General Assembly, not the EU, not the UN, and not even the US. You know, the, the capability of defending ourselves that's was a, a clear sign of independence. Fair enough. It's been really great to speak with you. It's a pleasure, and hopefully we'll get together when you come to Israel. And that's what Jewish Canada sounds like for this episode of the CJN Daily, sponsored by Metropia. Integrity, community, quality, and customer care. Today's listener shout-out goes to Len Pearl in Toronto. And we'll end the show with the Canadian Jewish Literary Awards. They had their annual prize ceremony on Sunday. The eight best Jewish books you should read this year. Organizers said they had the most entries ever to choose from. We put the link to the books and the list of winners in our show notes. And we'll end with Joanne Levy. Her teen book called Sorry for Your Loss, which is about grieving and death, was one of the winners. Writing is so often a solitary endeavor. And even after you publish a book, it can feel like screaming into the void. So receiving an honor like this is very validating, and to receive it for a book that is so personal makes it even more special. Join author Karen Levine in marking the 20th anniversary of the extraordinary true story behind her beloved children's book, Hannah's Suitcase. You'll hear how the curator of a small Holocaust museum in Japan wound up on an incredible global journey, searching for a young girl named Hannah Brady. Sunday, October 30th at 2 p.m. at Beth Emmett Synagogue in Toronto. To learn more and register for free, visit beby.org slash event slash OCT30.